0: Say so we got chased by lions. I don't I don't know if they chased us. I didn't look back. But we got at least watched and perhaps stalked by lions. This is the final for me.
1: The extra pack of peanuts travel podcast. Episode two, five, one. The Path in Toronto is the largest underground pedestrian system in North America, and it connects over 1,200 stores and restaurants, 50 office towers, 20 parking garages, five subway stations, and a railway terminal. You got to go somewhere to get out of the cold. What I absolutely love about today's guest, Sue, and her book, It's Only the Himalayas, is that she is woefully unprepared to hop on the -the around-the-world trip that she ends up taking. And then, of course, she writes about it and tells us of all her follies and misadventures. But I think a lot of people are woefully underprepared when they start to travel. And a lot of people, even after they've traveled a lot, are still woefully unprepared. Myself included. I will tell you though, the one way that I'm always prepared is by having the best travel backpack. And Tortuga Backpacks has really outdone themselves with their new Outbreaker backpack. You want to check this out. This is version three of their backpack, and it is way better than any version they've ever had before. It is completely waterproof. It uses a material that they use in racing sales, so it won't rip, it won't scuff, it won't tear. It is an awesome, awesome product, and you can get it in 45 liters. Or 35 liters, depending on how much you pack and how good you are at packing light. Both are carry-on size, so go check that out to getbackpacks.com. Don't forget, you can use the promo code EPOP EPOP all capital letters. That will get you 10% off your entire order. One, two, three. I'll show you Paris in the morning. I'll show Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has gotten paid to pose as someone else on Match.com, who thinks it's funny when people use bookmarks and who loves to drink cocktails while listening to Afropop in Botswana, Sue Bedford, author of It's Only the Himalayas and Other Tales of Miscalculation from an Overconfident Backpacker. Sue, thanks for joining me today, and welcome.
0: Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here.
1: And I nailed that intro and that title. I have to take a, a breath, though. That's quite a long book title, but I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a challenge. You kind of got to run and jump with that one. Just that go
1: right through And you backpacked around the world. You decided to write a book about it. That seems like, you know, how cliche, except <laughs> you actually wrote the book on like 99.9% of people. You then actually got it published by a real company, and the book is absolutely hilarious, and you published it a full 12 days before your 30th birthday. So the first question, what the heck did you do with those 12 extra days?
0: (laughs) Sat down. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because that was a goal, right? It was, I want to get this published before my 30th birthday, and then um, with plenty of time to spare, if it was me, it probably would have been 12 minutes, not 12 days. So big congrats on that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess that makes me an overachiever. <laughs> Definitely.
1: You are the overachiever on this podcast. Uh, faint praise when it's <laughs> me on the other end. But if if you could help us out a little bit with a timeline of your travels, because uh, you, know, you took this big round the world trip. We're going to get into that. And that's what the book is all about. So you'll hear, if you're listening, you'll hear bits and pieces of it, but you're going to want to go and read the whole thing because it is hilarious. But with your travels, was this kind of the first thing you ever did? Like, when did the travel bug happen? Was it as a little kid or was it, no, I'm just going to take off and, and go on this crazy adventure?
0: Uh, well, this wasn't the first trip. I am I had done very, very, very small trips with my parents. I think we went out, we drove from Toronto to PEI and I kept my travel journal and was really excited about staying in trailer parks and all of that. But that was as exotic as we got growing up. And then uh, when I was 19, I dropped out of a somewhat prestigious journalism program and had to do something with myself because otherwise my parents would have been really mad. So I went to Australia and New Zealand uh, for a couple months, and then I came back, and then I waitressed, and then I went to Europe for a few months, and then I came back. So I had that under my belt, but this was the first, I don't know, i if iffy about the term exotic, but yeah, something that was really different than Toronto.
1: So was this round-the-world trip, the one that you talk about in the book, was this somewhat of a response to the quote-unquote tame travels that you had done before through Australia, through New Zealand, and then backpacking through Europe?
0: To an extent. I definitely did want to try something new, Um, but also it was my travel mate, Sarah, because she had grown up reading National Geographic, and her father had been... Uh, quite the backpacker back in the 70s and had traveled through, he had backpacked from England to Australia for over the course of two years through Afghanistan, through Lebanon, all that. And so she'd really grown up with this not only love of travel, but love of culture, love of different countries. And she certainly knew way more about it than I did. I, with the exception of a couple David Attenborough documentaries here and there, I really didn't know very much about the rest of the world. And I certainly could have stood to look at a map before we left, as uh, as became evident later on.
1: Did you ever end up getting to Hawaii, though?
0: No, we did not make it to Hawaii. A lot of those places that were on my list, when I later discovered, were in fact nowhere near each other, uh, had to be x made when we finally decided on a route.
1: And, and deciding on that route, so a lot of people you know, are out there. I think same as you mentioned in the book, and we'll keep bringing that up. But If you want the full story, read, read the whole thing. But it's, it's that idea of, all right, I'm going to go here, 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 here. You know, you, you, when you can go anywhere, which is a great problem to have, um, you start just throwing out things like, I'm going to go to this place and I still do it to this day. How were you able to pare down where you actually wanted to go? And then what did the final itinerary look like?
0: Well, uh, we there were some negotiations. Sarah's mom was very much up in arms about the entire trip. She's quite the worrier, the mother hen type, and so the fact that we were going at all was a huge um, issue. And so, one of the things, in order to be able to go, we had to ex nay Latin America. So we said, okay, fine, we won't go there. So that at least that was our, our negotiating, our bargain chip. So there's a big
1: chip. chunk of the world you cut out, right? Just like that. There you go.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then we cut out Europe, uh, both because we'd both been there and because it was quite expensive. So that went. And the Middle East, we also cut out because it didn't really flow with the rest of our trip. And so it would have been a a short detour and price wise, it didn't really fit in. So we cut that. So we were left with um, Southern Africa, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana and Zimbabwe, which we did a uh, three, three to four week camping safari over land, which was quite intense. And I don't mean that as a pun. And then we also went to Southeast Asia for six months, and as well to India, Tibet and Nepal.
1: And when you took off on this trip, was there any kind of inkling in your mind that you were going to turn this into a book? Or was this totally just, we're going to take this trip and see what comes of it?
0: Well, it's kind of funny because when I was planning, when we were planning this trip, half of me was thinking... Because at the time, I had actually dropped out of university not once but twice... And I was living at home working as a waitress and just feeling like this complete loser where all my friends were graduating and getting business cards and having real jobs and living living in these cool walk-up apartments downtown. So a part of it was I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna go on this big trip. I'm gonna get my act together. I'm going to find myself in that ambiguous, dramatic way that we somehow think is out there. And uh, then I'm going to return, and real life is going to start, and and all that. And then there was the other half of me that's just like, Nah, you're going to die. You are absolutely going to die. There's no way you you still live with your parents. How the hell do you think you can go out and do this?
1: And so I guess the one side won out then, or or at least in the short term, it won out that you ended up going on the trip. What like what was that like because i that is a fear that many people have they, in in their head it's like yeah this sounds great okay i'm going to do it and even get to like the planning stages you know some people even buy tickets and then at the last minute they're like i can't do this like this isn't actually me for you 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 actually then you know you took the the leap and you went was there any doubt that that was going to happen
0: oh there was tons of doubt i mean there was tons to this day it's been Um, it's been six years since that trip. And to this day, whenever I travel the day before I leave, I'm like, yep, this is it. I'm going to die. This is, this is the end. And I tell everybody that I love them and I write letters and hide them places and do all sorts of dramatic things. So I don't think that's an anxiety that necessarily goes away. It's just about... It's funny because people talk about trusting their gut. And I do think to an extent, absolutely, if you're in some sketchy alley and you meet some weirdo and your gut says get out, in that sense, definitely trust your gut. But when it comes to a grander mystical sense, so, oh, I just had an idea that something was going to happen on a Tuesday, I've learned my gut is completely off. I have no psychic abilities whatsoever. So it doesn't matter how much I think I'm going to have this premonition that I'm going to die on this grand trip. I probably won't. because. I've had that premonition for everything and I'm still going.
1: <laughs> so now you know enough to know not to trust your premonitions, right? You've gone full circle and you're like at this point, well, I know this is crazy, but now I at least know it's crazy and I'm just going to go with whatever is the opposite of what I'm feeling before the trip.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Awesome. So did it, before? All right. So you went on the round the world trip and like we said, you, you weren't sure what was going to happen. You thought you're going to find yourself but did you ever think that fi- part of finding yourself or part of kind of moving this life forward was going to be this big project, which is writing a book about your travels? Which, as we mentioned, you know, 99.9% of people who travel want to write a book, and then 99.9% of those people don't actually ever do it um, or get it published, even. So, was. Did that seem like, oh, this might be the path? Because you mentioned you had, you, you had dropped out, but it had been a journalism program. So there was some interest there, at least.
0: Yeah, and I had always wanted to be a writer. It was always my life goal in general to have a book published by the age of 30. Um, I And while we were traveling, whenever it came up, people would often say, oh, well, do you plan to write about your trip? And at first I was thinking exactly like you said, well, everybody wants to write about their trip because every traveler has the the craziness and the whatever happened in Thailand and, and all this. So at first I was hesitant, but then after a while, I kind of started thinking, you know, my experiences, I suppose, were unique in the sense that it really was a series of absolutely ridiculous misadventures where a lot of people can say, yes, I went out and I did this grand thing and had this sense of accomplishment and it was beautiful and it was wonderful and and all this. And those stories to me personally are only interesting for about 10 minutes because after a while, you kind of start to resent this individual for being so accomplished and for being able to scale this mountain without dirtying their yoga pants or whatever. Whereas screwing up, getting chased by things, falling off of things, being embarrassed and terrified and all that, People love hearing about that because then they feel much better about having stayed at home.
1: Right. So you, you almost had to write the book. I mean, if you were going to have all these mishaps and misadventures and all that stuff was going to happen to you, it was almost your civic duty to then write about them in a way that other people could read and say, well, I guess if she can do it, then I can do it.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think right now there's a lot of material out there, a lot of travel blogs and then Instagram accounts, etc. where traveling is portrayed as extremely glamorous. And you don't realize that, okay, this awesome photo, this awesome selfie that this person took, they had to take 37 others because in one, they were getting attacked by a goat. In another one, they were getting hit by lightning or whatever. They were falling off the mountain, all these things. And so I wanted to be a little more honest that you know what it's it's obviously of course it's awesome and incredible and I love doing it but it's not always awesome there are some certainly awful moments where you're just like oh my god Why am I here? I have a perfectly good place at home. I could be at home drinking tea in my mom's kitchen. I could be warm and safe with a blanket. Instead, I am here in this ridiculous place doing this insane thing. What is wrong with me?
1: Yeah, that's what's so awesome about the book is that I love asking people about their travel mishaps when they come on the podcast, right? For that exact reason, that I want to pull the veil off. And, you know, I think it is awesome that we have social media and Instagram and all that. But. When you only see those things and typically people are only seeing those things about you because that's what you're posting, or maybe you don't have a podcast to tell about it or a blog to write about it. You know, it does. I think it creates this false sense that your life is always awesome. And so when I get people on the podcast, it's like, well, listen, I'm not going to let you get out of here without telling someone misadventures. Well, your book is just like, I mean, I don't even have to ask the question because anytime we're talking about the book, It's like story after story after story, which is just great. And I I think that that's what's so fun and, and funny about it is that you do a great job doing it. But it is then the secondary kind of perk of that is it then inspires people to say, okay... Yeah, it's not always great, but normal people like Sue, like Travis, they're going out, there doing it. Travis always loses his wallet every single time he goes on a trip. Uh, a, a listener actually said to me, when are you going to do the podcast about the top 10 places you lost your wallet? And I thought that's coming up. So um, it is. It's just one of these cool things. So let's talk about some of the misadventures. And, and you break it up kind of in the book by, by chapter and then amongst like each little mini trip or each little place that you're at there's multiple misadventures is there anything that sticks out in your mind specifically where it was so bad or or so awful that you almost decided to quit or did that happen like on a daily basis
0: oh that definitely happened on a daily basis <laughs> okay, sure, good, good. for sure for sure I mean, I, OK, I suppose the, the first big thing was because we started in Africa and we were doing this camping safari. And then, as I said, it was pretty intense. We were, well, sleeping in tents and uh, barbecuing our dinners every night and then going on these wildlife walks and things like that. And I was convinced that all of Africa was trying to kill me because anything we encountered, each animal was Far more deadly. There were the the cape buffalo, who would have trampled you, and the elephants, who well also would have trampled you, and the hippos, who are apparently very angry beings for something that looks like a cross between a pig and an overturned bathtub, and the baboons, which are super vicious, and all these things. So throughout, and one of my downfalls is that I always have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, always. And in these places, I would have to go out and water the bush. And every night I was freaking out, freaking out that something was going to kill me. It never did. And at the beginning, I and mean, there was this whole thing where one night I went out and then I heard this noise and I thought it was this beast. and I was petrified, convinced this was it. I was meeting the end as I sit with my pants down around my ankles. And it turned out just to be the guide snoring. When we were finishing our trip in Africa, I was starting to get what turned out to be a false sense of security. I was thinking, you know, again, this is just my my mental state freaking out the same way that I have these quote unquote premonitions that are way off about how I'm always going to die. Maybe Africa is not that scary, et cetera, et cetera. One of our last nights, we were in Victoria Falls and it was one of the few nights that we actually stayed in a hostel, which we were very excited about because after sleeping on the ground for so long, I had gotten sand fleas, which really sucked, and so we're super stoked to stay to stay in this place. We get we're getting into bed, and we pull back our sheets, and there's just ants all over our our nice clean bedding, dirtying it up with their little feet. And then I say, "Okay, we can't sleep here. Maybe we should just go crash yeah at the in the guide's room." So we knock on our door, knock on his door, and the guide lets us in. He's this super giant burly. Uh, dude, who with the very heavy Afrikaans accent who grew up in the bro- in the bush outside rural Pretoria and had played these bush games of plucking the hairs out of elephants' tails and had these stories about how rhinos used to chase them up trees. He'd be stuck in this tree for whatever. So for however just, long. Like,
1: just like my upbringing outside of Philadelphia.
0: A hundred percent, for sure. <laughs> totally, totally like that. So we were in awe of these stories. We're sitting around listening to him regale us with these tales. Of course, we want our own adventure. And we say this to the guide and the guide gets this twinkle in his eye and he says, okay, well, why don't we go for a walk? Of course, the first rule of the hostel is do not go for a walk. Do not ever go for a walk. There's this giant gate, um, this spiky gate with, with the chain, and, and we're not allowed past the gate because whatever's outside the gate will kill us. But the guide says, yeah, totally, let's go for a walk. So we're like, of course, this is completely what he's doing just because he gets chased by rhinos on a daily basis. Yeah, totally, he's going to keep us safe. So we step out into the night and we're walking and it's dark and the jungle's making all its jungle noises and my friend and I are gripping each other's hand and my heart's pounding. And suddenly we see these eyes and there's just these yellow, yellowish green eyes and there's one pair and then there's another pair and there's another pair and there's another pair and and they're all around us and we're looking at them and they're looking at us. And the guide takes a couple steps forward and then turns around and he's like, run, run, go, 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 run, run. run!" And we freak out, run, we go back inside and slam the gate and he locks the gate. He's like, okay, never tell anybody ever that we did this ever. So of course I wrote a book about it, but nonetheless, to the best of my knowledge, he hasn't read it. Um, and the next morning when we were getting ready to leave, we went out and on the dirt road, there were all these lion paw prints. So we did in essence, I... I say we got chased by lions. I don't I don't know if they chased us. I didn't look back. But we got at least watched and perhaps stalked by lions.
1: Yeah, and that was just as you were thinking hey, I've got this, right? Like, what, what were you, about a month into the trip or a couple weeks in the trip? And you figured, oh, yeah, like, no big deal. We've gone through the worst of it. Here I am, a seasoned traveler. And uh, then you almost get eaten by lions. So
0: Yeah, yeah. So, my bad.
1: <laughs> and then you continued the trip. That's the best part, though. I mean, you're like a month into it. And then you had, what, an- another, was it eight to ten months? You guys were on this yeah. trip for a while
0: yeah just just shy of a year and of course after after that whole fiasco, we went to uh, to Nepal and were trekking the himalayas and that was by far the most challenging is a really nice way of putting it i don 't know how to express what we encountered in the Himalayas, namely because when we decided to go i I was not in any sort of physical shape i mean i had the constitution of a cheese string and i i didn't even know what people did in nepal it's funny because my friend sarah who she's she's very athletic and a go-getter keener girl scout type person taking on the world she was the one who really wanted to go to nepal because when her dad had done his big travels in the 70s that was his favorite country And I remember specifically this moment when we were in her bedroom and planning the trip. Well, she was planning the trip. I was spinning around in her office chair and eating all of the cookies. She was saying, OK, so I found this really great trekking company for Nepal. And naive me said, what's a trek? And she pauses. And I should have known it was the most ominous pause ever. And she just says, oh, a trek is like a hike. In fact, it's like a walk. You can walk, right? And I'm thinking, sure, I can walk. But then I was nervous because I said, well... Is it going to be cold? Because I'm certainly not leaving my snow fort in Toronto to go freeze somewhere else. Thank you very much. And then there's this other ominous pause. And she says, well, Nepal's right next to India. And you know how hot India is. I was like, oh, of course. Meanwhile, turns out, I had to battle my two greatest enemies, which are cold and exercise on top of a mountain, which made me feel very much like a Japanese cartoon character.
1: (laughs) I love, I love it. Two ominous pauses means you better run away, right? Like the first one. eh, Okay. I can deal with that. The second one. It's like, no, something's up here, but you, you, you know, you forged on, you survived. It now is the name of your book, right? It's only the Himalayas. So you got that out of it and you got a whole rest of a trip out of it. And, um, And great story. So, you know, I think that you came out on top with that one.
0: I did. Barely. Barely. There was, (laughs) there was, I would have cried. There's a lot of times I would have cried, but I don't think I could have spared the salt. I would have been like, if I, if I could breathe, I would cry, but I can't breathe. So crying has to wait. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and what's so awesome is is the book is chock full of these types of moments um and written in the same witty humorous vein as as the conversation we're having here with the book so then let's talk about that a little bit and that process because you go from having this trip and and you know it's a series of mishaps and all this kind of stuff and then you come back what was like were you saying okay I'm going to write the book like right away? Was it something you started doing on the trip? Or was it something that, that took a while to even come to fruition?
0: I kept a journal while I was traveling just because I've kept one religiously since my 15th birthday when I saw Bridget Jones's diary. I started writing the book about two years after we got back. It was It was quite the process because so much happens, so much happens that it, had I written down everything, the book that I have now would have only been a fraction of the whole. And it's challenging to discern what to include, what not to include, what's warranted, what it, what is a story, what do people care about, and what just I think is funny and interesting.
1: Yeah, to me, it seems like a tedious like a fairly tedious process because it th- it's it, it seems kind of romantic, right? I'm going to come back. I'm just going to write down my memoirs. But in reality, A, it's two years past when you've actually experienced this. So you have to dig back and kind of remember all these details. I mean, there's times where I'm trying to talk to people about like what restaurant to go to in Cape Town. And I was there three weeks ago and I can't remember the name, right? So um, not only are you digging through all that, but you also then have to cut out stuff that I don't know, might not be, quote unquote, good enough for a book, but it's also your life. Right. So how do you judge that? I I can't imagine having to try to do that. What was it a process where you just wrote a lot out and said, cut, cut, cut or, or asked people? Or was it pretty much yourself just saying, no, not good enough, not good enough?
0: Fortunately, I have a friend who is an editor, and so she helped me a lot with the process, which is brutal at first to have someone be like, not this thing you did, this thing you think, your opinion's here, boring. I go, what? No, I, but it's me. So that was a challenge. I think, though, actually, the biggest challenge was to be honest because it's embarrassing there's a lot of stuff in that book where i have to reveal my insecurities my anxieties my shortcomings my foibles ways i screwed up ways that i feel i'm not good enough all this and that is it's really laying yourself bare and it's not something that you would necessarily want to reveal to the general public or your closest friends and on top of that there were certainly some uh, uh, debaucheries in that book that yeah that that was a challenge of ah uh, should I shouldn't I, I was like ah uh, you know what it's it's funny and interesting and my parents copy I will just censor with a sharpie and an exacto knife and it'll be cool uh, right. which is exactly what I did
1: yeah, you could just you just rip out like three or four of the pages here and there, and then they're like, "Wait, this this doesn't seem like a complete story." And then you know they move on to the next chapter.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just said, I was like, "Mom, Dad, if you love me, you will not read the actual one."
1: <laughs> so <laughs> so be- before that, then so then when you got you got the book, then you were writing it. Did you know that it was going to get published by the company that ended up publishing it, or was that another step where you had to then go out? and try to find someone to
0: publish the book? Oh my gosh, that was the hardest element of it. Writing, in in retrospect, writing was the easy part because that was what I'd love to do. As much as it was a challenge when I sat down to write, the time flew by, it's the submission process. I must have submitted to at least 150, if not closer to 200 publishers and literary agents. Part of the reason is because the market for any published book is is really collapsing because there's so much stuff on the internet that people can read for free. Also, a lot of people aren't reading as much because the time that they used to spend reading, they're now spending on Facebook. So that was a challenge, um, especially when it comes to travel, because there's so much free travel writing you can read about on the internet, what with all these blogs. Just that genre was really, really challenging. I had a lot of publishers write back saying, we loved what you sent us, but there's no market or, or whatever. And I even had one publisher was really rude and, and told me I would never make it. And I shouldn't quit my day job, which was especially depressing because I don't think I had a day job at the time.
1: (laughs) You're like, this this uh, is my day job. What do I do now? I guess I just quit life, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh crap. Okay. So I totally just failed at life done. Um, so, and then I, yeah, after that I went home and I cried for three hours in bed. So it's a very, very daunting process. And when I did finally get accepted by this publisher, then we, I worked with their editor and uh, there was more rewrites and it was a little over a year before it was—it then actually came out. So it is, it is quite the process. And what I say to anyone out there who does want to do this does want to follow this path if this is your passion if you love writing and you really want to do this absolutely it's it sucks the process sucks but if you love it 100 percent, go for it but if you're kind of thinking oh well it might be kind of neat not 100 percent in it it's it's not worth the mental anguish because <laughs> it's it is very very challenging
1: Yeah, it's not something that you kind of pick up on a whim and say, Oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, and it'll probably just work out. And you know, you have to put 150%, although I I guess I don't like when people say 110% because it's not true. But you have to put 100% of your effort into it. Um, But what's really neat now, so you have the book out, but you also have then been able... To spin that off into a like into uh, writing as a profession because you're also a freelance writer now. So how you know walk us through that a little bit because that's pretty neat too. I mean, it's obviously different than sitting down and writing a book and then going through the publishing process. Is there one you prefer more? Is there something that you like about both? And how did you kind of get into writing for Outpost?
0: Yeah, I I do some freelance. Uh, Mostly I do write for Outpost magazine, which is a Canadian backpacker magazine. And they're uh, indie travel columnists. So every two weeks I have a column online. And I do from time to time have um, pieces in the actual magazine, as well as we're working on other projects together. It's, It's great. It's very, very different than writing the book. So the person that my friends see... That's who was in the book. I didn't have to censor my opinions of anything. I, it was, the challenge was not to censor myself. And, and as I said, just to, to be that, that open. Whereas writing for the magazine, it's certainly more of a professional stance. And the readers are not as interested in me as a person, as opposed to the suggestions I have, the advice. Um, it's more what I'm saying as opposed to to who I am. So that has, it has been a challenge to wear both hats, I guess. On the one hand, write the book where it is a lot more personal and emotional and, and what's going on in my head. And then write for a magazine, which is far more professional and structured and and me behaving like a grown-up.
1: <laughs> so that's the, that's the real challenge is behaving like a grown-up, right? I mean, because that's my challenge.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, for sure. What what does your travel life look like now? Is it is it stuff that you're going and you're doing stuff like on assignment, or is it hey I'm I'm bunked down here in Canada more, and I'm just traveling here and there? Is have you been backpacking more? Like what after that you know big round the world eleven uh, month trip? What became the the process for you for traveling?
0: Well, I was able to backpack more after that, fortunately. I realized that there actually is no harm or shame or foul or whatever in waitressing, bartending, saving up a bunch of money, and then just going on these crazy adventures. So I certainly did that for a while. With writing for Outpost, I have been sent on assignment. I did go to Bryce Canyon, which was awesome. It was very exciting. Um... And I've also been able to sell uh, freelance articles about places I've been after the fact. So it, there's that as well. Uh, but mostly, I mean, I, I do have a day job and I'm living in Vancouver, working my day job most of the time. And it's just, it's something that I'd love to do, both write, writing for Outpost and for myself. And I'm very fortunate that I do make some money off of it as well.
1: Yeah. And for you then, what is kind of in the pipeline? I mean, we talked about the mishaps and stuff like that. Is there something... like I hope you're working on a second book. I have no idea if you are or not, but after running through It's Only the Himalayas like within two days or however long it took me to read, which probably doesn't... that, That must hurt your heart a little bit. I don't know. Whenever I spend a lot of time doing something and someone's like, oh, I loved it. I got through it really quick. I'm like... Oh, that's good, but it
0: took me so long. Um, you know, I've had a lot of people say that they're like, "Yeah, I read your book in four hours or something." I was like, four hours? Seriously? <laughs> it took me that long? Four hours? That was... Are you Did you miss a page? Were pages stuck together? They must got, got the. They got the
1: edited one that your parents got, I guess. I right, so guess it's down to well. half the book then.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's like, I agonized over the placement of every comma and four hours.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So is there, is there something in the pipeline for you that that's coming up, whether it be a writing project or some big travel that you want to take on or anything like that?
0: Well, um, I am hoping to, uh, continue with Outpost and like I said, broaden into other projects with them. Uh, also, I, I want to break out into fiction and just writing completely aside from traveling, just writing my own thing. In terms of I, there's always plans to go traveling again, I don't have anything that's set in stone since I did just move across the country less than a year ago. So I'm still hanging out here for now, but really we'll see what opportunities come up.
1: Is there any place that you are dying to go? Because I love asking this question. You know, people ask like, what's your favorite place? And I am going to, I'll ask you that too right now. What is some of your favorite place you've been? And is there something that you're thinking, man, if I could be dropped in right now to somewhere, where would that be?
0: Mm. Well, I'm not sure if I would say specific places, but there are specific things I would like to do. So I've never, I've never seen the Northern Lights. Uh, which is kind of funny because I am Canadian, but I do very. I actually there was one time when I think I was six years old and I had the chicken pox for the second time, which you're not supposed to be able to do. But man, hey, so life is
1: life is mishaps for you. Not just when you're traveling; it's just all yeah, the time, no. right?
0: Yeah. It's just one of these things. And I, rem- I was at the cottage and I had a really high fever. So my dad took me outside to try to cool me down. Apparently the Northern Lights were out and they were spectacular. And I remember him saying, oh, look, there's a Northern Lights. And I was so mad at being dragged out of bed that I refused to look at them.
1: <laughs> oh my. So, so you didn't see the Northern Lights because you're mad at your dad and because uh, and you had the chicken pox. All right. So you want to see the Northern Lights. <laughs> Any, anything else kind of on the hit list?
0: I really want to see red lava. So lava in its, yeah, in, in its red form. I remember I was in Guatemala and we hiked up a volcano and you, you could see it smoking and all that. And we roasted marshmallows on the lava field, which was awesome. I thought I thought it was hilarious, but it, it, was, it was, I mean, it was smoking, but it was black lava. I want to see the red lava. So that's a goal. I'm not sure where I can do that. I think some people have said Hawaii. Other people have said other parts of Central America. I had a friend who went on some really sketchy sounding tour where they had to crawl on their hands and knees up to the edge of the volcano and kind of peek over, trying not to get burned uh, from from the vents and stare in and they could see red lava that way. I'm not sure. Well, no, who am I kidding? I would totally do that. But yes, it is on my list, red lava.
1: And back to Hawaii. Hawaii coming up again and again. I think you just have to end up getting to Hawaii sooner rather than later. And you, I I mean, other than Northern Lights, you can cross off basically everything on your list. Hawaii, you can see the red lava, and uh, probably a little safer than crawling up on your hands and knees. But like you said, who are you kidding? I mean, that makes for a better story than just saying, hey, Mm -hmm. I flew to Hawaii and saw red lava. No one wants to read that, right?
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sue, for coming on today, for uh, regaling us with just a fraction of the stories that exist in the book. It's only the Himalayas and other tales of miscalculation from an overconfident backpacker. Really appreciate it. And for being one of the few people who actually follows through on the dream of writing a book and for making it so awesome to read. So if you could just remind people one more time, like how they could come find out more about you, how they can read some of your other stuff, and of course, how they can pick up the book.
0: Yeah, the book is available on Amazon as well as at Barnes & Noble in the States and Chapters Indigo in Canada and Waterstones in the UK, as well as, as I said, worldwide on Amazon and the Book Depository. Uh, You can visit my website at sbedford.ca and I would love to hear from anybody.
1: Yeah, and we will link all of that up in the show notes as well, guys, as always. So check that out in... All your stuff, Sue, all the writing that you do is updated on your website, sbedford.ca, right? Like I was on here and you can see the published articles and go wild, right? And read anything that you want.
0: Yes, absolutely. And then they can follow me on Instagram, underscore 86, or on Twitter, which is sbedford86.
1: So they can just see awesome pictures of your travels and be jealous because travels are always perfect (laughs) on Instagram, right?
0: For sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there
1: you go. Well, thank you very much again, Sue, for coming on. Guys, if you want to get the show notes, we'll link everything up. You can go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Also, don't forget, if you're looking for a good carry-on travel backpack, tortuga tortugabackpacks.com. You can use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That'll get you 10% off your order. And uh, Sue, I have to say, it's really awesome to get to chat with you I was going to say in person, but at least over the internet, because after reading so many of your mishaps, and it is great that you put it all out there and are so honest, it was a joy to actually get to chat with you and uh, and hear some of them directly from you. So thanks for coming on today.
0: Thank you very much. It was awesome to uh, to be able to share and to chat with you as well.
1: And don't forget, everyone who is out there listening, go pick up your copy of It's Only the Himalayas and Other Tales of Miscalculation from an Overconfident Backpacker. It is well worth it. I can't wait to do a renewal of our top 10, or we did, I think last time we did top 20 travel books of all time, because you may be seeing this on there. So... Uh, Thanks, Sue. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Thanks for the continued support, as always, that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll see you